in a series, we've been in a series for since like the fall, since September, in First and Second Timothy. We're just working our way through these two letters. Um, they, they really do pair well together they, because they're, they're written by the same guy to the same guy. They're written from Paul uh, to Timothy, uh, which makes sense. Um, but they have, while they have some similarities, they really have a, a, a unified message, but a different angle for that message. So First Timothy really focuses predominantly on the local church and the church that Timothy was sent to was in the city of Ephesus. Um, a lot of the New Testament was written about or to Ephesus. It was, a, it was an important church in, in its day. And, um, and so it, you know, it had a lot of problems too. And that's why it got a lot of things written to it. And so this church had kind of gone crazy, had lost their way, um, had forsaken the gospel and had replaced it with some crazy works-based salvation. And so Paul sends Timothy to that church to correct what was wrong. And, and so 1 Timothy really just walks you through what a healthy church uh, should look like and, and what it is meant to be centered around Jesus. Um, so that's kind of the emphasis of 1 Timothy. But 2 Timothy is a little different. It actually has the same theme of how to, how to be faithful to Christ, how to walk with Jesus, how to live within the gospel, but rather than as a big picture, here's how the church does that together. Second Timothy is really more about how an individual Christian does this. And so there's similar uh, overlap in in terms of the faithfulness of God and our need to be faithful and our calling to be faithful within the grace of God, but different angles. So you got the church and then you got the individual believer. So 2 Timothy is really a unique letter. It's actually unique because it's, it's written um, and meant, it was actually meant to be read by the church in Ephesus, even though it's super personal to Timothy. It's, it's really interesting because uh, Paul concludes the letter by saying grace to you, plural, with the plural you. So this was meant as uh, to be read as scripture. That's why it's in our Bibles. It's, it's not just for Timothy, um, even though there's a lot of personal um, conversation between Paul and Timothy happening here. So, so it's a unique letter because it's, it's on one hand, it's very personal from a, uh, a guy who really loved Timothy as a son and giving him instruction on how to live the Christian life moving forward um, as a, from an older guy to a younger guy giving instruction. But it's also meant for all of us to hear this and, and do likewise. So, so that's an amazing letter. Um, and I, I actually am really excited to be able to preach through this letter because it, it's just there's so much here that speaks to our, our hearts. Um, so let's just jump into it. We're going to read. I'll, I'll just read a little bit and we'll talk about what we're seeing. And we're going to get our way through verse 7 today. So 1 to 7 of 2 Timothy 1. It says this, Paul, so that's who's writing the letter, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So that's his title. So that's, that's, that's important. The reason Paul's calling himself an apostle shouldn't be overlooked because this tells us that the letter that's being written is not just from Paul's 
perspective. It really is from the authority of Jesus. It, to be an apostle was to speak on behalf of Christ. As Christ is in heaven, he established apostles to speak for him to his churches. And Paul was one of those men that God had called into that role and into that purpose. And so he's, he's not just writing this letter as a, a friend of Timothy's or as a guy who has his own personal thoughts. He's writing as an apostle of Christ Jesus, which means all of us need to listen to these words too because they're Christ's words through Paul's uh, mind and, and heart and, and pen and all that. Um, so he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and he's an apostle here by the will of God, right? So he didn't make himself an apostle. God did. It was God's will that Paul spoke on his behalf. Wait, we, we can read that whole story in, in, Acts, in the book of Acts where Paul gets called into this, this role, right? So he's acknowledging the will of God, but then notice this, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. So he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. This is a really, this is something he's, he doesn't say in any other letter. He doesn't express it exactly this way anywhere else. It's very interesting that he's talking about here the, the gospel, the, the, the salvation he has in Jesus, but the way he describes it is really amazing. He calls it the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. He, this, this is a beautiful way of describing the work of Jesus in his life and in our lives and so this isn't just a personal letter. It's for all of us as we follow Jesus. And, and really, this, this way that Paul describes the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus is um, an amazing way of just summarizing what Christ does for us. He gives us life, right? That is primarily what Jesus came to do. The primary message of the good news of of our Savior, is that he did what we could never do to accomplish life for us, to bring us into true life. And, and Paul actually d- does have a, have a really um, clear view of this. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 2. So same church, right? Paul's writing to Timothy. He's in Ephesus. So he wrote this letter to the Ephesians many years before 2 Timothy, but this establishes what he's getting at, and I think it's worth taking a minute to look at it. Paul starts in verse 1 of chapter 2 by saying, and you, you being the plural, you, all of us, right, were, were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. So that was our spiritual condition. That's where we were. And he says this, uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now here's the key, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive 
together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So that passage there articulates the, the gospel, right? It's, it's the clear message of what Jesus came to do, taking dead sinners and bringing them to life, bringing people out of spiritual darkness and death and into the life of Christ. This is the whole reason Jesus came. This is why we believe in Jesus. This is why we have a, a whole new way of looking at the world because of him. It is because of the promise of the, the life that is in Christ Jesus. And so that's where Paul takes us. This, is, this letter is all about the gospel. It's about what Jesus does for us. Verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Timothy is uh, the recipient, okay, Tim, to Timothy. That's who he's writing to. Um, he says, to Timothy, my beloved child. And I think that that statement there actually gives us a really uh, clear trajectory of what this letter is. Fundamentally, this letter is a, a letter of encouragement from a father figure to a son, from an older man who has had a huge impact in Timothy's life to, to a younger guy who needs to keep going, who needs to keep being encouraged, who needs to see that all of this is for something greater. And, and so Paul actually is writing this letter from prison. If, if, we, um, if we look at the, the history of this letter, it is, he's, in the, he's in a Roman prison. This is probably two or three years after he wrote 1 Timothy. He never got back to Ephesus that we know of. But he's in Rome now and he's in basically a, a hole in the ground, chained up, uh, alone with, with very little going on and he knows he's going to die. He knows he is. He says that. He refers to it back at, towards the end of the letter. Um, I don't know if I can find it now off the top of my head. But, um, but basically he refers to how he's, he's run the race. He's finished the course. He's, it's, he knows it's done. He knows he's never going to see um, freedom from this prison cell. And so he's writing to Timothy. Timothy knows he's in prison. He, he's probably extremely worried about Paul. And so Paul's writing this letter to get him to see, like, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep pressing on like a father to his son. And he's calling him to something bigger and deeper and more vital than just his his sufferings or his struggles in this life. So verse 3. Uh, before we actually get there, let me, let me say this. Um, this. This letter really is, uh, I want to just make this point, that it is about staying faithful to Jesus. Right? That's the whole point of the letter, is that it would be really easy for Timothy to look at Paul's situation, to look at his sufferings, to look at how he's in prison, because of Christ, and then basically go, okay, I don't want anything to do with this. This is too hard. This is too crazy. This is too difficult or whatever. So Paul's writing this to keep him 
in Christ and faithful to Christ. That's why he wrote this letter. He's staying stick with Jesus. Don't give up. Don't throw it away. And what he does through the first six or so verses here is he tells, tells uh, Timothy how we can do that. How we can keep going. It is hard to follow Jesus in a fallen world. We all know that. But because the gospel gives us life and connects us to something bigger than ourselves, we, we can keep going. And Paul's going to give us three ways that we can do that. Okay, so look at verse 3. This is the first one. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So I want to emphasize something here. Paul's obviously speaking, just, just doing introductory kind of greeting stuff. This is pretty common in Paul's letters. He talks a lot about his thankfulness to the people he's writing to. Again, he's thanking God for Timothy, and he's reminding Timothy that he's praying for him. That's fine and good. But what I want to emphasize here is this statement that Paul makes. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. Why does Paul say this? Like, what is, why is he trying to connect this whole thing back to Paul's ancestors? Why is he saying, okay, I'm serving God, and so did all these other people that came before me? What's the, what is the point there, and what is that? I don't think that's just a throwaway statement. I think that's intentional to draw our hearts and minds to something. And I think it's this, that the, that the gospel that gives us life connects us to life in Jesus by connecting us to a bigger story than our own. And I think it's really, really hard to walk with Jesus if you're just completely isolated and all you're looking at is your own, your own life and your own problems and you're always staring in the mirror. And Paul's going to give us this, this reality that we are connected to something bigger than just our present circumstances. He's, he's saying we're connected to a long line of followers of Jesus who served God just as we're trying to serve God. And I know we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but I think it's worth going back to Hebrews 11 because I think that's really the whole point of this chapter. Uh, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some people think it was Paul, but it doesn't really matter. We're not told who, who did it, and that's fine. But Hebrews chapter 11 walks through all of these long-gone people, but how they walked by faith. And I'm not going to read every, every part of this. I just want to give you the sampling. It says, verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Verse 7, By faith, Noah... Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, go down to verse 21, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Joseph, by faith, Moses, 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea, the people of Israel. And then verse 32, the writer says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, 
Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. He's saying, we could just keep going down this huge long line of people. Let's keep going. Uh, right? And what is the point of us being given this in the scriptures? It is to show us that our story right here and now, while it may be difficult, is not unique. These people suffered and yet they walked by faith and they trusted God and they kept going imperfectly for sure, like we do. That's also encouraging, right? We, we see over and over again these people in the scriptures that are just walking by faith imperfectly as you and I try to do, but we're connected to them. And verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the witnesses he's talking about are these people from old, from our, these ancestral people. We're surrounded by them. And so he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Right? The whole point of this is keep going forward because you have all these witnesses who did the same. We can, we're connected to a bigger story. We're connected to a greater thing. God has started something long before we were alive and he just keeps carrying on with it until to this day. And so our call is to stick with him, keep walking by faith as they did. And, and again, if you read those stories, like all of them struggled and failed, every one of them. There's no perfect person until you get to Jesus, right? And Jesus is the only one who truly changes the script. And we can see him then as our true hope. That's why Hebrews 12 says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. Because if you're not looking to Jesus as the perfecter of your faith, you're going to look at yourself or look at all these other flawed and failed people and go, well, what hope do we have? We look to Jesus because that's where our hope is in the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus. We are connected to our Savior who died for our sins and rose to life so that we can be connected to his life. So it matters that we're connected to a bigger story. It helps us break free from the pity party, wanting to call it quits and throwing in the towel because we look at our world and go, well, this is too hard. No, we can look to Jesus and to those who came before us, the ancestors that we have. And by the way, even though we're not Jewish, most of us probably aren't Jewish, we are still connected to this greater story. The Bible tells us that we are grafted into this story as Gentiles. We're, we're in this family. We're brought into it. That's what Romans chapter 4 te teaches us. So this is our story too. And so we're brought into this family line and we can keep looking at them and looking at ultimately the Lord Jesus, though difficult circumstances may exist in our lives. We can keep going. That's the first thing Paul says is we can be connected to the life of Christ because he's connected us to a greater thing than ourselves. That's important. And I think it's, it's hard sometimes for Americans to understand that because we do live in a very individual society. And I think there's goods to that. I'm not saying we shouldn't live in that kind of society, but we have to 
be careful not to overemphasize the individual over the big picture of what God is doing in particular in the, in the world. Okay, verse 4 and 5, look, look, let's look at this. He says, as I remember your tears, he's probably referring to the tears that Timothy shed as they said goodbye for the last time, wherever that was, however that happened. Um, Timothy loved Paul. Paul loved Timothy. There's no question about that. These two guys were um, father and son. I mean, in, in all, for all practical purposes, Paul was Timothy's spiritual dad. And so he's saying goodbye, probably knowing that he's never going to see Paul again. He cries through that. And Paul says, I remember your tears. And I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you have somebody in your life that you could say this about, right? Where someone you haven't seen in a long time and it's just like you're, when you do see them, it just brings back all the, the joy. That is a beautiful gift of God. And that's what Paul's longing for. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So the first thing Paul kind of emphasizes is this connection to the bigger story by talking about his ancestors and how he's, he's serving God the way they serve God, just keeping, keeping on and on with this. We're just, we're just another link in the chain of this great, great family that God is creating through Jesus. But then a lot of times we may think, well, that's all fine and good. Like, okay, I've got all these dead people that I can look back at and go, wow, that's really helpful. Paul, Paul also takes us to the next step. He says that the gospel connects us to life in Christ by connecting us to each other. Right? So it's not just some, few, some past group of people that we will never see on this side of heaven. It's also that Christ connects us to his life by connecting us to each other here and now. There is joy in Paul's heart as he thinks about Timothy. There is joy in Paul's heart as he remembers Timothy's faith journey. And he reminds Timothy that even though Paul's in chains in a faraway country, somewhere long, long uh, way away, he's also connected not just to Paul, but to his, his grandmother and his mother who shared the faith with Timothy and gave him the initial seed of faith that he needed to come to faith. And so we see this, this Lois and this Eunice, these two women are mentioned here specifically, his grandmother, his mother. This is important. This is important because Paul's reminding him and us of the reality that we are connected to each other and God has put people in your life for a purpose and that purpose is to help you love Jesus. And I believe that that's the primary role of the local church, to help each other love Jesus, to be in connection with each other, to be in community together in Christ, to help each other walk with Christ. And some of those people can be and are sometimes our own grandparents or parents. Timothy's dad's not mentioned here. Timothy's dad is probably uh, not a believer 
maybe he's out of the picture altogether. Maybe he was, maybe he was killed or died in Timothy's early life. We don't know hardly anything about his father. We know he wasn't fully, we know he wasn't Jewish, he was Greek, and so there's some information we have. But this is, this is what we know, is that his grandmother and his mother played a huge role in Timothy coming to faith. So if you're a mom or a grandma, that's important for you to hear. You play a significant role in your kids' and grandkids' lives. Don't, don't think it doesn't matter. It, it matters. In fact, we live in a fallen world, and the first thing that seems to fall is the family. Family ought to be the place where we're loved the best, cared for the most, treated well. But we know that's not always our story. That's not always the way that we, we experience life. And sometimes our parents are the worst to us. I know many, many people who suffered at the hands of their, their parents, and that is a sad reality. But here's the good news in that. If we have a beautiful, wonderful, caring family, we can thank God for that. And if we didn't, we can be grateful that Jesus Christ gives us a better family to belong to. His family. With a father in heaven who will never mistreat us. With a, with a bunch of brothers and sisters that are in the church that hopefully won't mistreat us, although, let's be honest, we're sinners. And sometimes we do. But by God's grace, he works in our lives to bring people to, uh, to what we need. So, so Timothy was blessed with a grandma and a mother who loved the Lord and shared that with him. Timothy was not in a situation where his dad was in the picture, or at least if he was, he wasn't a spiritual influence in his life. And so what did God do for Timothy? He brought him the apostle Paul. And Paul becomes a father figure to him. And that's the beautiful thing, is that God gives us what we need in in our lives to help us keep going. He provides those people that can help us love him. And we have an amazing Savior in that regard. The gospel connects us to a bigger story, and it also connects us to each other. And that's, these are tools that God uses to keep us going. First, uh, I want to take us to 1 Thessalonians quickly here, just to give you a, a sense of Paul's heart in this. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 5 to 12. Here's what he writes to this particular church. He says, For we, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, 
while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, believers. For, we, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you, you and, uh, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So there you see Paul actually describes him and actually Timothy was one of the writers of First Thessalonians. Um, and and the, these guys showed up in Thessalonica and they did not come in guns blazing just to beat up on these people. They deeply cared for them like a mother cares for her children, like a father encourages their, his, his children. There's a family dynamic here that is all throughout the New Testament, but, but beautifully shown there. All right, look at verse 6 and 7. Here's the last couple verses. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I'm going to cough for one second here. <clears throat> okay. So, we see the gospel connects us to the life of Christ through putting us into a bigger picture, a bigger story. We see him connecting us to one another. But we also see here, this is the third point that helps us continue going, that the gospel connects us to life in Christ by connecting us to a mission. We actually have work to do as Christians. And, and it's not work that we do to be saved. That work's already been done by Christ. But it's work to partner with what God is doing in the world on a mission. This is why Paul says he's reminding Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. So there's this gift that God has given to Timothy. Now that, that gift is not laid out here in the text. We don't know what exactly he's referring to. I think the most likely guess is that because he refers to the laying on of hands, which is in the New Testament almost exclusively talked about in regards to sending somebody out for uh, ministry in the church, right? He's probably talking about his gift of preaching or his gift of, uh, of pastoring or something along those ministry lines. But he's telling Timothy to fan that gift into flame. So we all love fire this time of year, right? Keeps us toasty, warm inside our houses, right? You fan into flame. You build a fire. It's a slow process if it's done right, right? And it takes, takes some time, and eventually that thing just grows and grows. But it takes some effort to get there. And so Paul is reminding Timothy to just keep fanning that flame. The flame already exists. It's already there, but he's just got to give it some oxygen, and he's got to get that, that thing growing. And so he's calling him to this mission, this, this, uh, this call to live uh, to make disciples, which is what all of us are called to do. That's the primary mission of, of every Christian is to make disciples. But I think what Paul is addressing here is something that, that Timothy is personally struggling with and that we can sometimes struggle with too. It's this, it's this sense of fear about his, his mission, this, this uh, kind of intimidation we actually saw that in First Timothy where he was having to be 
kind of encouraged to, dude, you got to say what needs to be said. You got to keep going here. Don't, don't be a coward. And that's what Paul's reminding him of again, as he says in verse 7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, we, we all have the, the tendency, I think, in regards to ministry and sharing the gospel and being on mission. I think there's a, there's a sense in which we can be a little cowardice on this. And that's what the word fear gets at. It's, some translations use the word timidity. Timidity is not exactly the, the, the meaning behind this word. The, the word really talks about being a coward, like just getting away from your responsibility, running from it. And so it's not about just being a little bit, you know, nervous. It's, it's about just being completely tempted to, to run the other way. And so Paul reminds Timothy that he has been given a spirit that's not of fear, not of cowardice, but of power. The, the Holy Spirit is the spirit that's being referred to here, that, this, that the Holy Spirit is empowering him for the work of ministry. And you know what? The Holy Spirit empowers all of us for that work, whatever that work may look like. Like his, his mission was probably different than yours or mine. We, we all have different roles to play within the church. We all have different roles to play within the world. But we all have, have been given the same spirit, not of fear, but of power. And also, two other character qualities of this spirit, love and self-control. Now, why, I think we can understand why, why Paul's talking about the spirit of power and not fear, because Timothy is kind of a fearful dude, or at least he struggled with that at times in his life, as probably most of us have. But why does he also add love and self-control onto this. I think it's, it's interesting. I, I was reading a commentary by John Calvin who, who wrote on this. He says, why did he add love and self-control? In my opinion, it was for the purpose of distinguishing the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, from the fury and rage of fanatics who, while they rush forward with a reckless impulse, fiercely boast of having the Spirit of God. For that reason, he expressly states that the powerful energy is moderated by self-control and love, that is, by a calm desire of edifying. So it's, this is what, what that is getting us to. The Spirit of God empowers us for mission, but it's not just reckless, crazy, fanatical mission. It is a mission of love and self-control. It is a mission that draws people to Jesus through a calm desire to edify people. And I feel like that's often lost in people who are just so gung-ho for doing whatever they think they need to do that they just run headlong claiming to have the power of the Spirit behind them as they do it but they do it in a way that does not edify, but it just breaks people down and just, it's all power and no love and no self-control. And so this, this Holy Spirit that empowers us also helps control us and helps us love people. And th- that, that is what 
is vitally missing so often in our, in our mission, in our ministries, in our calling to make Jesus known to people. Is we, we need to do this, but we need to do it in a way that's tempered and respectful and gracious and loving. And I don't know that that shocks any of you if you've been here a while. That's it's kind of been our, our thing for quite a while. But I just love the reminder here. I love that we're reminded of the mission we're called to. And the mission is not a calling for fear. We can move forward in the gospel without being cowards because we have the Holy Spirit empowering us to do it. And let's remember the, the words of Psalm 23 because these are the these are the words that the scriptures give us to understand why we don't need to be afraid of anything in life, right? Maybe your fears are overcoming you in these days. Maybe, you know, I think a lot of us are struggling with fear, just fear of the unknown, fear of more government, fear of no government, fear of what, whatever, right? It's like everybody's kind of got a different thing. Could be a f- fear of health, could be a fear of financial loss. I mean, we, I feel like we're just living in a time where people are on the edge of just going crazy. And we need the reminder that we're not here to fear because we have a beautiful Savior. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil for you are with me. So why do we not fear? Because he's with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd that leads us through the valley of the shadow of death so that we don't have to fear evil is the shepherd Jesus, who by his spirit empowers us today for the mission and connects us to a greater calling, a greater life. And so here's the reality. Even if we lose everything in this life, and one day we will, by the way, it's called death. So, you know, prepare yourself. When you lose everything in life, you are still connected to a greater life the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. So there's no need for fear. There's no need for us to be cowards, to continue to hide, to, to not go forward, to not live life in the church. We, we can do these things because we have a spirit of not fear, but power, love, and self-control. All right. Well, let me pray for us. We can, we can go from there. Father in heaven, thank you that you have loved us and have empowered us and have connected us to yourself through Jesus. And I pray, God, that our 
that our hearts would be drawn into what we need today. I know we're all in different places. We all have different struggles. And yet we all know that you are with us and you lead us and care for us. And so I pray, Father, that you would get us to yourself today and help us to see Jesus as we ought. Lord, would you do the work that needs to be done in our lives? And I pray that as we remind our hearts of these things through song and through the table and through uh, our acts of giving, that you would be um, just graciously meeting us here in this time. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.